0: And uh, I'm one of the pastors here at New Hope. And uh, today we're going to be continuing our way through our series, The Words of Jesus. And uh, if you'd like to follow along with me today, we're going to be doing Matthew 21 through 16. Uh, I'm going to be in the NLT. The words will be on the screen if you want to follow along that way. But feel free to read along in whatever you've got in front of you. Um, Let's get right into it. It starts like this. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon and again at three o'clock, he did the same thing. "'At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again "'and saw some more people standing around. "'He asked them, why haven't you been working today? "'And they replied, because no one hired us. "'The landowner told them, "'Then go out and join the others in my vineyard. "'That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in "'and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. "'When those hired at five o'clock were paid, "'each received a full day's wage.' When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. And he answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Actually... In some translations, you'll probably see "unfair" in most of them, but if you look in the actual Greek, he says, "Friend, I've done you no wrong." I find that interesting. Uh, Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I want to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the last? uh, Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. Let's kind of break that down a little bit. There's a few things we got to kind of talk about to understand what's going on culturally here. First thing, the Jewish work day is generally 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. That's what's happening in this story, right? Second thing we got to tackle, what is the marketplace? Why is he going to the marketplace to find these people? So generally, the people you would find at the marketplace looking for work Are like handymen. They're not gonna be your typical nine to five, like blacksmith or carpenter. These aren't your skilled tradesmen. These are just guys that need to find work. They don't have a regular paying job. They have to go find their work. And so the landowner's going out and he's finding these people and he is bringing them in and he's paying them, right? Okay, so he goes out to the first group and he says, hey, why don't you come work in my field today? I'll pay you a day's wage. Your translation say, may say a denarius, or I think the, uh, the King James says a penny. Um, point being, it's a day's wage. It's a, it's a regular day's wage. That's what he's paying them, right? And they're going to go work a full 12-hour day. And so he does that at 6 a.m., but then at 9 a.m. he comes back, and there's more people that need work. And so he goes to them and he says, hey, why don't you come work for me? I'll, I'll take care of you. I'll make things right. Come, come work for me. And so they go work. And then at noon, he comes back and he does the same thing. And then at 3 o'clock, he comes back and he does the same thing. And as late as 5 o'clock, that's one hour before everybody's done working, which means that by the time they even get to his vineyard, they're probably working for like 30 minutes or something. You know, like how long could they really be working? They get to the end of the day. And everybody gets paid the exact same amount. Now, let's just get a quick uh, consensus here. If you're the first people that show up at 6 a.m., how are you going to feel about that? Are you you a little upset about that? Show of hands. Come on. Let's be honest. Not real fair, is it? It's not. It's not fair. It's weird. Because that's not how money works in our world. We don't We don't work like that. We don't go to work and expect to get paid, uh, you know, the same amount as a guy that shows up for 20 minutes in the day versus the guy that's been there for 12 hours in the day. That's weird. We don't have a, a place to put that kind of thought in our world, right? But that's also interesting because I don't think that's what this is about. I don't think that's exactly what's happening here. This is a parable, and parables speak in uh, kind of symbols, right? It's a story that represents something greater. And generally, Jesus' parables, each little element represents something different. So let's break that down and let's think about that. Let's start with the easy one first, landowner. Who's the landowner? Come on. God Jesus right it's God if you look at Jesus's parables generally god is always represented by the landowner the vineyard owner the king he's always the guy with the power he's always the guy calling the shots right so that one's easy but then you got the workers who are the workers the workers are us we're the workers we're God's people. We have have come to God. We believe in Jesus, right? We have partnered with him. Jason was talking about the fields are ripe for the harvest, right? There's a reason that's the language used there in the Bible is because we're going out and we're spreading the gospel. The work we're doing is spreading the gospel. We're going out and doing what God wants us to. We've partnered with him. So we're the workers. The work is the gospel. What about the time? What about the whole like hours in the day thing? What's that all about? I think there's a couple ways we could look at that. I think one way you could look at that is like, what about people that like come to Jesus and believe in Jesus like right after Jesus ascended, right? The disciples, the really early people that became Christians versus like the Christians that will come to Jesus like just before Jesus comes back and there is no more time to to come to Jesus, right? Maybe that's one way of looking at it. I think there's another way, though. I think the other way we could look at that is, you know, just like we've got so many hours in the workday, we've only got so many years on this earth. And I think maybe there's an element of this that's like, maybe 6 a.m. is when I'm young, and maybe 6 p.m. is when I don't have any more time on this earth. And so the people that are coming to work at 6 a.m. are the people that have been with Jesus right from the very beginning of their lives. And the people that are coming to Jesus at 5 o'clock are the people that are coming at the end of their lives. Does that make sense? I think that's a way of looking at it. So we got all those. That really leaves one more element we've got to discuss, and that's what are they getting paid? That kind of matters. I think there's probably some popular thoughts on this. Like You know, people might say, well, what? well maybe it's like spiritual gifts right? Maybe it's like earthly blessings. Maybe it's like the treasure that we store up in heaven, right? Maybe it's just just the way God blesses us in general. And like, I could see why people might think that at first, but I think when you really look at it, it can't be any of those. I think that the reason it can't be those is that all these workers are getting paid the exact same thing. We don't all get the same blessings. We don't all get the same spiritual gifts. We don't all have the same treasures stored up in heaven. So the other element that we have to consider is the workers are getting paid the exact same thing and it doesn't seem to be based on how much work they actually put in. So it's not really a wage at all. It's a gift, which is really interesting. It's, it's not a payment because it's not related to the work they did. It's based on the generosity of the landowner. So what in our lives kind of works that way, right? Salvation. It's salvation. It's given not based on anybody's merit, but on the simple gift of the landowner. I think that is fair, right? I think that makes the most sense. You could, I guess, say it's the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit... Comes to us when we receive salvation. So really, it's I think salvation works here. I think that makes the most sense. So I think we're all good with that, right? Like that's easy peasy. Cool, cool. Thanks, Jesus. Parable. Awesome. Done. Um, here's the thing. Uh, I think it's more complex than that. Like, we want to initially just, you know, gut reaction, be like, oh, cool, it's awesome that Jesus saves people even when they came to him just at like the last minute and then they die and they're saved, and that's great. We love that. Awesome. But let's remember, once again, this is a parable. And uh, if there's one thing Jesus' parables usually aren't, is Simple easy to come to grips with, right? It's not usually like we hear a parable of Jesus and we're like, oh yeah, totally knew that. That's fine, yeah. Yeah, great. Like, no, they challenge us. They, we have to wrestle with them. So I, I want to play devil's advocate a little bit here. And now we're going to do like a total 180. Has anybody ever heard of Jeffrey Dahmer? Yeah, go ahead, hands. I'm curious. I'm real curious. All right. Jeffrey Dahmer is one of the most vile, wicked, disgusting human beings that has ever walked the face of this earth. Jeffrey Dahmer is so sick and twisted that we cannot, I mean I cannot go into detail up here about the things Jeffrey Dahmer did in his life. He was a serial killer. And over the course of his murders, he murdered 17 men and boys. He was eventually incarcerated and he was murdered by another inmate while mopping the bathroom. And I think we can, most of us can look at that story and go, that's probably a fitting end. Do you know seven months before he died, Jeffrey Dahmer accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior? Do you know that Jeffrey Dahmer um, confessed with his mouth, he out loud, verbally stated, Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is the God that is triune. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's, he's that Son. He's God. Jeffrey Dahmer believed that people are saved by grace and not through their works, not through their actions. He believed that every man would stand accountable to Jesus Christ at the end of time and that Jesus held his life in his hands. Jeffrey Dahmer was baptized in prison. Jeffrey Dahmer passed out tracts and evangelized to the people in prison, spreading the gospel in prison. At one point, a a person tried to kill Dahmer in prison before they actually succeeded. Dahmer survived that time, and he was quoted saying he was happy that he could continue to have an opportunity to spread the gospel while he was in prison, and then he met his end. Jeffrey Dahmer died a christian how does that make you feel kind of gross a little bit in a weird way right like like it, that one doesn't settle well because it's not fair It's not fair that a person as sick and twisted as that man can go his whole life and he can do the things he did. He would do things that would make Hitler blush. I mean, this man is sick and twisted and he gets to go his whole life living like that. And then all of a sudden at the last minute, seven months before he dies, now he's a Christian all of a sudden. And that man is received into the arms of Jesus Christ. How is that fair? Let's try another one. I'll tell you about another man that's responsible for the death of countless Christians. His name's Saul of Tarsus. He went about, he was a Pharisee. He hated Christians. He went about persecuting Christians, meaning they would get thrown into jail and they would eventually probably die there, if not be tortured and killed purposefully by Roman officials, by Jewish officials, whatever. Point being, he wanted Christians dead. On one of those missions, Saul is going to a place called Damascus, and he has an encounter with Jesus Christ himself. He's blinded. He can't see. Jesus guides Paul safely into the arms of Christians. Paul has a conversion experience. Paul changes, Saul changes his name from Saul to Paul. He goes on to write the better half of our New Testament. He spreads the gospel to the Gentiles, to the pagans, and he is greatly responsible for the westernization of Christianity. We have a lot to thank that man for today. He's received into the arms of Jesus Christ. And guys, it's really not fair it's not fair that Paul gets to go live this terrible life for I mean this is the guy that held the coats of the Pharisees that stoned Stephen the disciple to death they killed him and he stood by and held their coats so they wouldn't get blood on him so they wouldn't get dirty and he is in the arms of Jesus Christ today That's just not fair. It's not fair that a man gets to hang on a cross at the side of our Jesus, at the side of our Lord, right? That he gets to hang there. He's a a crook, he's a criminal, he's a thief. And he looks at Jesus right before he dies and he says, would you just not forget me? And Jesus said, I'm not only gonna remember you, you're gonna be with me in paradise today. That's not fair. And thank God, God's not fair. Because if God were fair, Not a single person in here would have salvation. If God were fair, we'd all be damned. We'd all be in an eternity separated from God, separated from life. We'd get what we deserved because we're the bad guys in this book. God's not fair. He's good. And that's better than fair. See, as much as we know that grace is a free gift from our God, right, that we know that Jesus died on a cross, that he became the man we couldn't be, he lived the life that we couldn't live, he died the death we deserved, he raised from the grave, and he offers salvation freely. It's a gift. We can't earn it. We know that. We profess that nobody's got any qualms with that in here, I'm sure. But as much as we say that, when we see somebody like Jeffrey Dahmer, when we get the full story of Paul, right? When we see these people that have done atrocious, terrible things, there is this there is this thing in our gut. There are certain people that we can't help but compare ourselves to in some earthly manner, and and that's just it is. We can't do that. We can't do that. We can't go around comparing ourselves to other people. Because when we do that, in some way, we are assuming that if that person doesn't deserve the grace of God, somehow I do. And that defeats the entire purpose. Not one of us is worthy. We just sang that song, is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? No. The answer is no. It's implied. We don't even have to sing it. But who is? The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave, right? Like, Jesus did it all. It's all about him. And so the whole thing of this parable is we've got to stop making it about us. Because on some subconscious human level, no matter how much we get the gospel, there is a fleshly human part of us that wants to make this thing about deserving it, that wants to make this thing about works. And it's not. It's not at all. And so the simple message today is this. The disciples of Jesus Christ, as a disciple maker, we cannot compare ourselves to others. Don't compare yourselves to others. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't look at ourselves and examine ourselves and confess our sins. We should, we have to. But that doesn't mean I've got to look at this person over here and go, oh man, I can't believe that person came to Jesus. I I have a hard time believing that. I I, (laughs) went, I I hate to even use this example because since he said he came to Jesus, it's been very confusing on whether or not he actually did. But Kanye West, the backlash on Kanye West when he said he was following Jesus, immediately, how many Christians just said, not possible, that's not cool. That's not cool. We should not have done that. Yeah, has he made a, a mess of things since? Yeah, he sure has. But our initial gut reaction should not have been, oh, that can't happen. Jesus can save anybody. It's not about our merit. Right? On the flip side of that, we shouldn't look at ourselves and go, oh man, I'm nothing compared to that guy. That person is so close to Jesus. That person reads their Bible every day. That person, that person's prayers are just so much holier than my prayers. That, you know, we put people on pedestals and we think that they're much closer to God than we are. And, and it's not about what we do, it's about what Jesus did. Simply put, stop comparing yourself to other people and just follow Jesus. Just accept his free gift of salvation and then go after him. And just like those workers in the field, go do the job he set forth for us. And that is telling other people, telling other people what he's done for you, what he's done for the people you know, what he's done for people like Jeffrey Dahmer. That's unreal. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace. And thank you that it has nothing to do with us. Because we are so inefficient. We are so insignificant. We are so unable to serve you the way we should. We are so unable to live the lives we were made for. But it's through your son that we are saved, that we are brought into right relationship with you, and we thank you so much for that, Lord. And we just pray that your Holy Spirit would work in us and move us and help us to go spread the gospel, to do the work that you've set before us, Lord. We work because we love you, not because we're trying to earn your salvation. You've already given us that. And we thank you so much. And we pray it in Jesus' name. I just want to kind of lead us through uh kind of a contemplative practice here to kind of just slow down for a second and just think through what we just talked about. We we do this after um, most sermons now because we think it's a good practice. We think it's a good practice to really think about what you just, what we just talked about, think about how that applies to your life and what we're going to move forward doing about it. So I'd like you to just bow your head with me, close your eyes, and just um, take a moment with God to think through these things and, and see um what he's putting on your heart but the my first question to you would be uh what is god putting on your heart today and maybe he's been putting on your heart for a while i don't know um but what is that what is that little itch that needs scratch now Second question is, um, and once you know what that thing is, what, what is God putting in your heart? The, the question is, what are you going to do about it? Because he hasn't called us to inaction, right? He, he's called us to, to follow him. And that means getting up. He puts it in the terms of picking up our cross and going. I mean, even if it's hard, what needs done? What, what do we need to do to follow him? third question is who's going to hold you accountable in this because you're not going to go it alone there's no lone wolf christians we don't make it out there alone we need community we need people around us that know our hearts that we can open up to that we can be transparent with to let them in and know what's going on and to hold us accountable so who is going to be that person of accountability for you